Welcome to the podcast of Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. If you can turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. And we'll be moving on to the next uh, church in uh, Asia Minor that Jesus is speaking to. Um, this church is the church of Sardis. Now, we know something about Sardis from history. Um, when the Persians were overtaking that area, they were able to overtake Sardis, this city, um, by surprise. You see, Sardis... They, they're a city that was up on a high ledge. There was this great precipice. And so when they would guard the city, they would guard all the way around, but they thought that they were high enough from this steep ledge that they would be safe and that no one could, could get them from that side. But uh, when Cyrus, the Persian, came and um, tried to conquer them, what happened was because they weren't watching it, they, uh, the, the Persians put up a ladder and we were able to climb in and uh, they opened the gates and allowed the, the uh, Persian armies to come in and they sacked the city. Well, you'd think it would be enough once, but it happened again later when Antiochus, the Greek, was coming in. And uh, he did exactly the same thing. They again, they they weren't worried about that side of the of their um, fortress. They they felt like it was safe. They were asleep. They thought they were safe and secure. And what happens? Antiochus's army comes. They put up ladders. They're able to climb in, open the gates, and they come rushing in, and they're defeated. They had a sense of security. They were asleep. And they were overtaken. Now Jesus, whenever he comes to the church at Sardis, he tells the church there to wake up. To wake up. They're very similar to what, what the city as a whole needed to do earlier on. Jesus tells them to wake up. Let's read what our text says. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, The words of him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you have received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. 
Lord, give us ears. Let us not be caught in, in feeling that we are safe and secure, but Lord, to, to remain vigilant, to be awake. Father, I pray that You would speak to us tonight from Your Word. And Father, I pray that You would, um, you would be with me. Lord, that You would um, strengthen me a sinful man, broken. Lord, I pray that you would give me strength to preach your word tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus begins this letter the same as he does to uh, many, any of the other ones. He says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write. And he identifies himself Uh, With some of the characteristics we saw in chapter 1, he says, The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. This seven spirits of God is probably talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, Probably some kind of a symbolic language here pointing to the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the one who, who came as the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He came and He was the full revelation of everything the Spirit had to say to us. And then He came as the one who has the seven stars. We saw that in chapter 1. Jesus holding the seven stars. Chapter 1 tells us that those seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Uh, These angels of the seven churches, that is how Jesus communicates with His Churches there. These letters were written to the angels of the churches. And Jesus holds all these seven angels of the churches. And so Jesus has them in His hands. He is in control and He communicates. He speaks to His church. And He holds them in His hands. Now when we come to each of these other letters where Jesus has something negative to say, He always starts it with the positive. He says, you know, I I know your deeds, your labor, you know, all of these things. And then He, you know, it's like He softens the blow and then He lets them have it, right? Well, this time, you almost think that's what He's going to do, but He doesn't. He goes right into the criticism. He says, I know your works. So they're all set up, ready for an encouragement. I know your works. Your, um, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Well, how would we like to hear that from Jesus? You think you're alive, but really you're dead. You know, actually, that, that's the words that an unbeliever would hear. Because every unbeliever, we're dead in our trespasses and sins before we come to know Jesus. And He comes to us and says, you're dead. You need to come alive. You need me to come into you to wake you up, to open your eyes and come alive. But Jesus is saying this to a church. He's not saying this to lost people. He says to the church, you have a reputation for being awake or alive, but you are dead. Several years ago, uh, in the late 80s, there was a movie, and um, 
A lot of times I'm, I'm cautious about using um, movies as illustrations because everyone has um, uh, different convictions about what movies they should watch, where they should draw the line. I'm just going to say I have not watched this movie. But maybe you've heard of the movie Weekend at Bernie's. Uh, in Weekend at Bernie's, I know the premise, but I've never seen it. There, there's these two guys who, uh, they have a boss, and they're going to his place for the weekend. And when they go there, Bernie dies. But it's too soon. They don't want it to be found out that he dies because that would ruin whatever it is that they were working on. I don't, I don't know what that is. So the whole weekend long, they're trying to just prop him up and make everyone think that he is really alive. So they put shades on him. They put him in a, in a Hawaiian shirt. They're walking around with him. They're, they're making him dance. And this is just a corpse. It's absurd, isn't it? This is absurd. How can anybody ever believe that? The, to, to pull the wool over somebody's eyes like that and make someone think that they're alive. Jesus here says to this church at Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Sometimes many churches feel like, especially churches that are in decline, that are, are dying churches, feel like what we need to do to be able to bring people in is do a lot of activities. We'll do a lot of activities so we can just bring in all kinds of young people and, and things like that, but... Honestly, what really revives a church is not doing activities. What revives a church is the preaching of the gospel. What revives a church is people getting on their knees in prayer. What, what revives a church is the Holy Spirit moving in the people. It's not activities. And for all of our activities, divorced from the preaching of the gospel, getting on our knees in prayer and asking the Holy Spirit to move among us. All of our activities are just as absurd to Jesus as just propping up a corpse and trying to make it look alive. What is it? Why is it that Jesus says this church at Sardis has a reputation for being alive, but they're dead. Well, I think it has to do with the context that we've, we've been talking about. Uh, the, the churches there in Asia Minor that Jesus was writing to, they were all under persecution. And in the Roman Empire, we've talked about this already, they're, they're, um, they were persecuted because, and they were they were told they had to worship Caesar. Caesar wanted to be uh, considered a god. They wanted, he wanted to be worshipped as a god. And there were different types of religions in that time. There were, there were uh, legal religions and there were illegal religions. Um, those that were new, the ones that would come up, they, they hadn't been around a long time. The ones that weren't around whenever these peoples, ancient peoples were conquered, those were usually illegal. Judaism, on the other hand, had ancient roots. They'd been around a long time. These Jews, that the, the Romans and the Greeks would come past, they, they allowed them to continue practicing their Judaism and they would give them a, a certificate of some kind of, of exemption so that they would not have to uh, follow the religions of Caesar. And so the Jews, 
would have this exemption, this uh, exemption so that they didn't have to bow down to Caesar. They didn't have to confess that Caesar was Lord because their religion was legal. But the Christians didn't have this. Now what we saw in the other churches, in in the church at Pergamum and in the church at Thyatira, is that those people began to compromise When they were under pressure, they gave in to sexual immorality, which was probably a part of the occultic uh, worshiping at the time. They gave in to idolatry, eating meat sacrificed to idols, and all those things that would have been a part of worship of Caesar. So they began to give in. So Jesus, He confronts those churches, tells them to repent. Now, here with Sardis... We don't get this indication that they've been compromising. Instead, it's kind of quiet. We just hear they're asleep. They're dead. They need to wake up. It's possible. Now, there's a few lines of support for this. It doesn't really tell us what their problem is, but I think that it was probably, or at least a a plausible um, thing that was going on, was they were being silent. And they were trying to fit in with the Jewish community where it was legal. They could fit in in the synagogue. And in order to do that, they couldn't confess Jesus out publicly. Maybe they had a private faith where they, they, they believed in Jesus. But in order to be accepted in the synagogue... They, they remain quiet. They didn't open, openly confess Him. I think there's some things here in the text that kind of supports this idea. It, when a person was there among the synagogue in the early church, um, in this kind of context, they, there was the fear that they might be ter- handed over. Uh, handed over and, and turned over to the authorities like uh, what we saw in the, the church at Smyrna, where... where um, um, you know, they, they lived there among a synagogue of Satan, right? These people that may turn them over to the authorities, they lived among these people who would do this, and that was a danger, so they would keep quiet, they would just sit still, uh, you know, sit and, uh, and not um, confess Jesus openly. One of, the, one of the things we know from the ancient world is there were, there were 18 benedictions, 18 prayers that the Jewish people at this, this time would pray every morning. And one of those was actually a prayer that was a curse. And they call it the curse of Minim. Uh, The curse of Minim, I have this uh, written in the commentary here. It says, the curse of Minim reads, may the Nazarenes and the Minim, that was just another sect that didn't belong to the the Jewish um, people they would accept in the synagogue, May the Nazarene and the Minim suddenly perish. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not enrolled along with the righteous. This is the kind of the thing that they prayed for Christians. They called the Nazarenes. These ones who followed Jesus of Nazareth. They wanted nothing to do with these Christians. And so, if these Christians wanted to be accepted, wanted to be accepted among the synagogue so that they could practice their faith without, you know, without giving in to um, and compromising with the worldly practices like the sexual immorality and the idolatry, what did they do? They kept their mouths shut. I'm going to continue here. Verse 3, Remember then 
what you've received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Jesus threatens his people here, doesn't he? He says, if you don't repent, if you don't wake up, if you don't uh, stand firm and confess me publicly, then I'm going to come to you like a thief. We think of that when we, when we think of uh, the end times when Jesus returns again. We know that at that time he comes and he's going to come unexpectedly. He'll come like a thief in the night. But here Jesus threatens this church, the church at Sardis, if you don't repent, I'm going to come suddenly. Come like a thief. You won't know that I'm coming. And He's coming against His church here. And He says, you won't, um, yet you still have a few names of Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. Who are these people who have not soiled their garments? I think those are the people who um, they stood firm. They were not acquiescing. They were not uh, being quiet in the face of this. They were standing up. They were confessing Jesus. In spite of the pressure, they were, they were confessing Jesus. They weren't giving in to idolatry. And Jesus says they will be what they will walk with Jesus in white, for they are worthy. They're pure. And Jesus says, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. What was Jesus wearing at the very beginning? We saw in chapter 1, what was He wearing? He was wearing a white robe that went all the way down to the ground. Jesus promises the same thing for those who conquer. I think in this context, it's those who, who do speak out, who confess Jesus' name in spite of the pressure. And I will never blot His name out of the book of life. We heard this prayer from the ancient synagogue where they would say, may the Nazarenes and the Minim suddenly perish. May they be blotted out of the book of life. That's what the Jews wanted. That's what they wanted for these believers. They wanted them to be blotted out of the book of life. But Jesus here says, if you stand firm, if you confess my name, then I will not blot your name out of the book of life. One of the things they would do there in the synagogue, if someone was found out to be a Christian, they would, they would strike their name off of the um, synagogue roll. Jesus says, there's a more important book. The book of life where I will not blot your name out. If you confess me, if you confess my name. Then Jesus says, and I, this, I think this is where it kind of ties it together and, and makes this, this uh, idea plausible about how, um, what's going on and how they were asleep. Je Jesus says, I will confess his name before my father and before His angels. What does Jesus say in the Gospels? He says, if you um, deny, whoever denies Me before men, I will deny before My Father. And whoever confesses Me before men, I will confess before My Father. I think the, the idea here that they, they were 
They had a reputation for being alive. They had a reputation for being alive because they, they weren't giving in to the idolatry and all of those things. But they were quiet. They weren't confessing Jesus. Jesus here says, the one who overcomes, to the one who confesses Me, I will confess His name before My Father and before His angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We hear this in every single letter. This was not only to Sardis in that day, but that, that message from Jesus is for us. As I think about this, I think there's a different way it can apply to each church. We're, we're young. Uh, we, we, we have just started. We've, we've not even been a year in existence as Redeemer Baptist Church. In fact, we haven't even yet constituted. So how in the world could we say this applies? This, this, these words about a dead church applies to us. Well, there can be that temptation, again, to be silent. To just acquiesce to the culture around us. To not say anything. To not make waves. And I'm convicted as I read this. As I've been out in the community making friends, meeting people, I think how many times have I just met a person and just had an initial contact, but I didn't share the gospel? How many times you know, did I knock on a door or something like that? Or just sit down and eat at the deli and talk to somebody? And maybe I made a good impression but I didn't open my mouth and share the gospel. Well, uh, this is convicting for me. It's, the gospel is offensive to people. The gospel's always been offensive. To tell someone that they're a sinner, that they need to be forgiven, and that all of their good works aren't good enough, that's offensive. And maybe it's not good enough just to say, come hear the gospel in this building where I've got the support of all these people here who are, who are cheering me on. It's easy to stand up and proclaim it here. It's not so easy when me or any other of us are down at the deli. And we meet somebody new and we want to... It's easy just to... And I'm not against inviting people. I've done a lot of it. It's easy just to say, why don't you come out and hear us sometime? Enjoy it. Join us sometime. With the expectation in mind is they probably won't. And then we never, we just kind of feel we're off the hook of sharing. I'm convicted by this. We have a reputation for being alive, don't we? People look at Redeemer Baptist Church and they may think, wow, they're the church that they gave away shoes for kids. They're the church that, that um, power washed houses for free. We did all of these things. But are we alive? I'm convicted. I need to be better about sharing my faith openly, about confessing Christ, about explaining what is the gospel outside of these church walls. And not just expecting people to come here and hear it. 
I hope that we can all hear Jesus' words here and be prodded on so that when we go out into the community, we'll have a little bit more than just come join us some Sunday night. We'll have the words of the gospel on our lips. I'm going to share one more thing. Um, What is this gospel? What is this gospel that needs to be on our lips that we cannot keep silent about? I've shared it many, many times, but I want to be clear. Uh, There's a little outline that I think is really helpful. God, sin, Christ, response. God, sin, Christ, response. God made everything. He made you and me. We are uh, His creatures and we belong to Him. But because of sin, we have all rebelled against Him. We have all sinned. We have deserved His righteous wrath. And none of us is good. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. Jesus came... And as as Bradley read earlier, the cup of wrath was taken away. Jesus took the cup of wrath that we deserved and poured it out and drank it all down, taking every drop of God's wrath that we deserve on Himself. That's the good news. God, man, Christ, and then response. What do we do about this? We believe. We believe that Jesus' death was enough for us. We believe and we repent of our sins. And when we repent, I think the first step in that is we agree with God about it. We agree. I am sinful. I am deserving of God's righteous wrath against me. God would be perfectly just to send me to hell. That's repentance. When we agree with God and we begin to hate our sin instead of loving it. It's not that we are saved by somehow changing our ways and and cleaning ourselves up. But when we believe on Christ, we have a new change of mind. We agree with God and we no longer want to do the things we did before. That is the gospel that we cannot be silent about. The, The gospel that He calls us to go and proclaim... And no matter how many activities, how many good things we do for this community, if we're not about that, if we're not out proclaiming this gospel, then we're dead before we ever got started. May we be a church that is alive, that remembers our first love, and we are bold to share. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Baptist Church of Panama. For more information, please visit us at RedeemerBaptistPanama.wordpress.com or you can like us on Facebook. Facebook.